The snow is falling, the nights come early, and you're listening to Burning Rock Radio. Burning Rock Radio is the ongoing story of Ivy Romeo's search for her friend Sam. If you're new to the podcast, we suggest that you listen from the beginning. Chapter 14 When Winter Shakes the Door May 2002 Everyone besides Lana decided they were going to skip classes the day after Brad disappeared. Lana decided not to skip because she only had one class that day. The logic seemed backwards to me, but I was far too tired to point it out. None of us went to bed after our little debriefing. Once Crown was done asking questions, he closed his laptop, leaned back, and sighed. Well, that was a night, he said. The rest of us were pretty well splayed out in a stupor at that point. I wasn't too bad off since I was normally up until four in the morning anyway, but even so, the drama of the night really took it out of me. Lana yawned. I want to watch Scooby-Doo, she said suddenly. Does anyone want to watch Scooby-Doo? In some weird way, I kind of did want to watch Scooby-Doo. It was like she had unlocked some sort of deep well of liminal headspace I didn't know about until just now. Apparently, my subconscious really liked cartoon Great Danes. Lana got up and plugged a tape into the player. Whoever watched it last hadn't rewound it, so we had to sit through several minutes of static before the tape finally popped and Lana could hit play. I wish you guys would just get the DVD, Lana complained. Hey, the fact that two grad students own Scooby-Doo at all is probably better than you deserve, Sam replied. Almost as soon as the episode started, Sam got up and headed to the kitchen. If I hadn't have been so tired, I might have followed him to see how he was doing. Instead, I laid my head on the armrest and sat back to watch the psychedelic trip fest that was a Scooby-Doo movie. It was the one where the gang meets a girl and a dog who both end up being space aliens. It's very flower power and all of that, and I might have been more interested if I hadn't seen it half a dozen times as a kid. Even so, it was somehow comforting to realize that there were other people out there who had fond memories of this movie, too. Sam returned a moment later, carrying four or five cereal boxes in one arm and a tray of milk and bowls in the other. There was a plate of muffins, too, and I wondered when on earth someone had had time to bake those. I thought Sam's face had gone a little more somber during his time in the kitchen. Man, he said. I just saw Brad yesterday, too. Came by the shop to grab a sandwich. Guy was just out there living life. Sam tipped a poppy seed muffin into my lap, like he literally just dropped it there. I glared at him, too tired to play along. Yeah, Lana said. I mean, I guess that's just all of our story, right? Living life until one day we aren't. I really wanted to go to bed. Seriously, I really didn't want to philosophize about any of this. Sam settled down again and poured himself a bowl of cereal. I can actually get into the arcade from the ice cream shop, he said. We share a back hallway, and I have a key. That would be great if you could check it out tomorrow, Crown said. 
Maybe you can figure out something with that laptop that Ivy found. Man, I don't know. It looked pretty password protected. I told him. Yeah, well, maybe we'll get lucky and the password will be password. Crown offered. I took a bite of the muffin that Sam had dropped on me. It was actually really good. I hadn't had a poppy seed muffin in a long time. In fact, I felt like I hadn't had anything to eat in a long time, and my mood really brightened right along with that lemon flavor. Who made these? I asked. Uh, I did, Lana replied. I should have guessed what with Lana being Lady Brunch and everything. We all sat and watched the movie for a while longer. I poured myself a bowl of some sort of cinnamon roll cereal. It literally looked like tiny flat cinnamon rolls with a layer of frosting on one side. They were delicious and they made my teeth hurt at the exact same time. I guess I wouldn't blame Brad if he just took off, Sam said after a moment. I looked over at him. He looked thoroughly exhausted, like the rest of us. His eyes were only about half open, and he was slumped so far down on the couch that his chin was practically resting on his chest. Crown looked up. That so? he asked. I mean, yeah, Sam said like it was a given. I caught Lana eyeing him strangely. It was like she was taking a level of personal offense at the fact that Sam didn't like Burning Rock that much. To look at her, you would think that she founded the place or something. Does anyone actually want to be here? Sam asked, looking around at the rest of us. I mean, if it wasn't for school. I want to be here, Lana said coolly. Not everybody wants to live in an apartment the size of a mailbox just so we can live in the city, dude. By the time the movie was over, Sam and Lana had both fallen asleep, leaving only me and Crown awake. As the credit music played, Crown closed his laptop and offered me a weary smile. I could tell you didn't want to talk about it in front of everyone, he said. But the way you were being evasive, do you think you might have seen something unusual tonight? Supernatural, maybe? I hesitated. I hadn't expected to get into this conversation tonight. At least Crown wasn't someone who was going to make fun of me, or worse, if I did end up believing in ghosts. There was that, I guess. I don't know, I finally said. It might have just been a trick of the light. I would like to think that, at least. He nodded, but... I could tell I wasn't convincing him any more than I was convincing myself. Still, he let it go and I was relieved. Crown woke everyone up so I didn't have to. He walked around the back of the couch, tapping Sam on the shoulder first and then Lana. I was already on my way out of the room before the others got up. I didn't want to talk anymore. I felt ready for sleep. I headed back to my apartment just as the sun rose over the forest. I crashed on my bed, and I was out before I could so much as yawn. I dreamed that night, and it wasn't about anything pleasant. In my dream, I see a creature rollicking in the bay. It's white as a ghost, and at first I think it might be one of those doll's porpoises, those big white things that are like a cross between an orca whale and a dolphin and always seem to be smiling at you. 
As I draw closer to the water, though, as the sickly pink sunrise takes on golden tones and I get a better look, I realize it's not a porpoise at all. It's some kind of monster, like something from a scary movie. It's pale and its angular snout crests the water, followed by eyes, huge eyes, pure green and milky and perhaps sightless. At first, it doesn't seem to care about me. The waves push it closer to shore, but it seems content to ride along with them without a whole lot of intent or thought. I step closer to the water. I know it's a bad idea, but I do it anyway. The creature's head swivels. It turns to look at me, slides under the water, and disappears. At first, I think it might have gone away. I think it might have turned underwater and swam off to the depths of the ocean. But then I see its eyes rise above the waves again. Closer this time. I see it reach out a long, white claw, draped in seaweed. Its spindly arm follows, sinewy, wrapped in jellyfish bits. It claws its way up onto land as if struggling against something. The creature lugs its slug-like body onto the shore, trailed by a mass of tentacles instead of a tail. Its ropey white body looks like wood that has been sanded smooth by the ocean. It lifts its head high and makes a motion as if it's sniffing the air. It's so close now, and for some reason I can't run. It towers over me, and there's this brief moment where I hope that it'll keep its neck stiff and its head high and never see me at all. But then, its dead eyes focus on me. It lifts a leg and reaches for me, and for the briefest moment, I feel those claws sinking into my skin. And then, I woke up. I woke up all at once with the image of those claws emblazoned in my mind. All I could think about was the mark on the trees that first night we played that stupid game on the beach. I tried to shake off the feeling that all of this meant something. I knew that, logically, my mind was simply filling in blank spots with things I had seen in real life. Still, with all of the weird stuff going on, it was unsettling. I went to get out of bed, and that's when I realized that I wasn't in bed at all. I looked around, disoriented. I could see pale, stormy daylight peeking in from behind a window shade. I didn't have a window shade in my room. Lana made fun of me all the time for living here this long without putting up so much as a curtain. At first I had no idea where I was, but then I noticed the Christmas lights hanging from the ceiling. I was back in Crown and Sam's apartment. How did I get here? Hadn't I gone home? I was pretty sure that I had gone home. It was right after we watched Scooby-Doo. Was that a dream too? Why in the world had we all been watching Scooby-Doo at six in the morning? Eh, it must have made sense at the time. I rubbed my forehead, trying to stave off the tension building there. It had been a really weird couple of days. 
I yawned, checked my watch, and saw that it was three in the afternoon. There was another bundle of blankets and wild red hair curled up on the other side of the sectional. So I guess Lana was still here too. That was so weird. I really could have sworn that I went to bed. I decided to write it off as more sleep deprivation and stood up, noting the stiffness in my legs as I did so. I could hear the sound of someone unloading the dishwasher in the kitchen. I shifted from foot to foot, took note of the really horrific headache now stabbing me in the brain, and made my way toward the noise. I pushed on the kitchen door. It was one of those weird swinging doors that doesn't really latch. I've never really liked those. They feel so indefinite. Sam was standing there in shorts and a band t-shirt of some kind, passing glasses from the dishwasher to the cupboard like his life depended on it. Hey, got any coffee? I mumbled. I could in fact see that he had coffee. There was a whole pot of it sitting next to the sink, dangerously close to the sink in fact, could fall into the sink at any moment close to the sink. Yeah, help yourself, he said, gesturing to the very obvious pot. I went to the cupboard and checked out the mug selection. There was everything up there. A mug that looked like a rock, a mug that looked like sand, several retro diner mugs, and a couple painted with constellations. Why does everybody have such freaky mugs around here? I grumbled, choosing one covered in hearts because it was the exact opposite of how I felt. Lana, Sam said like this should be common knowledge. Lana buys everybody freaky mugs? No, Lana works at a mug store he replied. What? Lana works at a mug store? He paused what he was doing to look at me. You've lived here for how long? How do you not know that? I blinked, legitimately trying to figure out how I didn't know that. I knew she was usually gone fairly early in the morning, but I guess I never pieced together that it was because she was working. She had literally never mentioned it. Man, why do you guys all have so many secrets in this town? Secrets? Sam laughed. We don't have secrets. Oh, please, I said. Brad and Reed? Lana works at a mug store? Dude, Crown is secretly a ghost hunter who moonlights... Moonlights? As a newspaper editor. You guys have so many secrets. I poured myself that mug of coffee. What about you? I said. You got some big secret too, Sam Grayson? I added creamer to my coffee and turned to look at Sam, already smiling at the thought of my open book neighbor trying to lie to all of us. Sam's communication style was literally just to verbally vomit whatever came to his head at any given moment. He couldn't even keep his thoughts about Burning Rock under wraps. Instead, though, he looked kind of solemn. So solemn that I wondered if he'd even heard me. I frowned and took a sip of coffee. You want some dinner? He asked. Dude, it can't seriously be dinner time, can it? It's definitely dinner time, he replied. I hate this week. 
He took the lid off the pot on the stove to reveal a thick, dark stew with bits of carrots and meat and onion floating on the top. There were a couple of empty beer bottles on the side of the stove, leading me to believe that this soup was actually going to be pretty good. There are croissants to go with it. He literally tapped the oven with his knee. Croissants, I said. That's a bold choice. Yeah, they're homemade. Like I said, croissants with stew. The best idea I've heard in a very long time. October 2007. All of the lights are out, but I can hear something scratching coming from the direction of the kitchen. All of my senses feel alive, sparkling, singing in the darkness, doing their best to feed me the information and failing as usual. If only I could just trust my own senses. If only they had done their job the first time I needed them. When Sam was here, I had had someone else watching my back. In some ways, I think I learned to rely on him too much. It had been easier when we could stand back to back and survey the world around us for any sign of danger. But now that I'm alone here, well, I guess I have to watch my own back. I run my hand along the wall, feeling my way along instead of turning on the lights. I step carefully, foot over foot, listening for the scratching sound to come back. When I reach the kitchen, I pause to listen for a moment. Something on the table catches my attention. It's just as dark in here as everywhere else, but in the moonlight, I can see the shape of a small stack of plates. What are those doing here? Lana never leaves stuff on the table, and I certainly hadn't taken them out. Just as my brain begins to formulate an explanation for what's going on here, the lights snap on and people jump up from behind the counter. Surprise, they shout, and then, happy birthday, Ivy. Something near the ceiling bursts open and suddenly things are falling on me. In all the commotion, I stumble backwards, smacking into the wall and nearly dislodging the knife rack that Lana insisted on hanging above the trash can. Lana, Crown, and a small selection of our other friends stand on the other side of the counter, faces frozen in various states of concern as they watch me trip backward and struggle to keep my footing. I steady myself and look up at my friends, feeling my heart rate slow back down to normal. Hey everybody. I want to punch at least one of them, but I force myself to calm down and smile instead. The things falling from the ceiling were balloons. They must have rigged them up there in some kind of net, which was actually fairly impressive. The last of the red orbs touches down and nestles itself between the kitchen island and the stools, and for some reason, even with everything else in the kitchen, I can't take my eyes off of that balloon. I swallow hard and keep staring at it until I feel that I can safely look around again without having some kind of breakdown. Sometimes it helps to focus on one thing in the room. Hey, what's what's going on here, guys? I ask, trying to sound excited instead of slightly panicked. Well, you weren't around last year, so we figured we'd better celebrate two birthdays this year, Crown says. I laugh and I put the pie down on the table. So, 
This pie was a clever ruse, I say. Of course, Lana replies cheerfully. I look down at the balloons creeping across the floor and the big sheet cake with my name and orange frosting. Actually, it's not just orange frosting. The whole cake is covered in orange. Orange flowers, orange frosting, and I suspect that when I cut into the cake, it'll be creamsicle flavored with marmalade and vanilla filling. The first time we all had orange sherbet cake together was because Sam and I made it late at night because he couldn't be bothered to go to the store in the morning. Sam was the kind of guy who would take three hours to make a cake because he didn't want to walk around a supermarket for 10 minutes. And I guess I was the kind of person who would spend three hours making a cake because it was with a friend. That cake had been born out of a lovely combination of necessity, laziness, and friendship. And we hadn't had it since Sam had disappeared. I wonder if any of the rest of them remember that. I wonder if they know the significance. Everything tastes so bittersweet these days, and usually it's more bitter than sweet. Thank you for listening to Burning Rock Radio. Visit us at www.burningrockradio.com and follow us on Instagram at Burning Rock Radio. As always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews. And Sam, if you're out there, we all miss you and hope to see you soon. <laughs>